Hello everyone and welcome back to Video Games Are the Worst Thing on Earth. I'm Alton, with me as always is Reese. Hello, Reese. Boo! Okay. Did I scare you? I'm doing a horror episode. Shit. Not fuck, there's shit all over my chair now. <laughs> God damn it, Reese. I've shit my pants. I can't believe you've done this. This episode fucking ruined. Fucking, I gotta throw it all out. We gotta start again in another <laughs> six months when we have energy to do another episode. Uh, yeah, you'll be listening to this in 2023. <laughs> we have a special guest with us. Hello, Dylan. How's it going? Hi, I'm Dylan. I'm good. How are you, Alton? Oh, I'm... <sighs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'm alive. <laughs> How about and, you, Reese? Oh, uh, I'm. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, great. I'm a PhD at the University of Oregon on the study of Jokerification. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, damn! I've this is the Joker episode, right? I've got a bunch of notes here about the Joker. Oh, uh, I think we already did uh, the Joker episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Give me a Wait, what'd you say? I'm sorry. I mean, we could we could scrap all this and talk about the Joker again. Yeah, it was great when he killed rich people. I like that too. All right, so real talk. I talked to Dylan on K Server about horror games and specifically PT. The topic of PT came up somehow, and I just like went super hard into it because I had read an article before that basically talked about how before it was canceled. They were actually talking to Junji Ito, like one of the greatest horror artists of all time. They were talking to him to like do, I'm assuming like monster designs and shit like that, which would have been fucking incredible. But Konami being Konami and Konami is the worst, they fucking canceled it and we never got to see like this fucking amazing game with the probably like the only game to have like Junji Ito's actual work in it. I know there's like World of Horror which we might talk about at some point, because that's very cool looking. But I know, me and Dylan really got into talking about it, and I was like, man, we gotta talk about this on the show. So, hello, Dylan. Hello. I'm actually curious if Junji Ito had anything to do with PT in the first place. Because Lisa, her design, it's really Ito. I feel like he was definitely a major source of inspiration. We'll get into, like, our first article here in a second but basically what they were talking about is that they were definitely talking to junji ito trying to get something set up but the project just like fell apart before it could actually get to it so pt as far as i'm aware the playable teaser had nothing to do with like junji ito i'm sure he was a major source of inspiration though yeah because the way lisa moves and all the pt clones that have come out since have completely failed to replicate yeah. The simplicity of her design and how creepy it is. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some influence from Junji Ito, but the two definitely share the same origin, I would say. it's My understanding is that Lisa is like a kabuki ghost in a very kind of traditional sense, but, you know, made to look like housewife from uh, the 80s. So I think that it's more they're both Japanese and less that he was actually involved in this because it's my understanding that PT kind of came about like the Silent Hills teaser was something way different until the end. They kind of changed it a lot. And I feel like that was all kind of done on the fly by Kojima. That's like the big thing with PT is that knowing whose hands were in what is pretty much impossible. Yeah, it makes sense. As the congressional debate over gun control flares up yet again, we regret to report the murder of a wife and her two children by their husband and father. The father purchased the rifle used in the crime at his local gun store two days earlier. This brutal killing took place while the family was gathered at home on a Sunday afternoon. The day of the crime, the father went to the trunk of his car, retrieved the rifle, and shot his wife as she was cleaning up the kitchen after lunch. When his 10-year-old son came to investigate the commotion, the father shot him too. His 6-year-old daughter had the good sense to hide in the bathroom, but reports suggest he lured her out by telling her it was just a game. So here's like what I wanted to talk about with PT. And that is essentially 
that despite it being nothing more than a demo available on like PS3 only, it has been one of the most influential games, one of the most influential horror games of all time. And you can see it just reflected in like how many games came out after it that just try to chomp on its flavor. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really interesting how, despite the fact that this is like a 30 minute or so like demo for a game that never released, it had this perfect blend of horror and mystery and themes and visuals and everything to just like come out at the right time and just absolutely just shake up the horror games industry. I think a big element of that has to do with the length of PT. Over like a longer playtime, like Resident Evil 7, people talk a lot about maybe like the first 40 minutes. Uh, Who is talking about the tanker at the end? No one. <laughs> that's so true. And like, I think that's been a problem. We'll get into amnesia later, but that's been a problem for horror games since forever is that the longer it goes on, the less impact it has. And I also think Kojima knows how the internet works and how these things kind of advertise themselves with enough mystery and enough gravitas to them. Because a mysterious demo drops on the PlayStation 4, and it's just many hallways repeated over and over. And but initially, nobody fucking knew it was about Silent Hill. Like, I'm sure people guessed because it's like fucking Konami or whatever. Mm-hmm. PT, playable teaser, like... People had to like go through this thing, figure out all the little secrets that Kojima hid to find like the final trailer for Silent Hills. That's another thing is that the community involvement, getting a bunch of people together to kind of crack the code. It was very short, but it was also very dense with the kind of way that the mystery would unfold. There's that part where the radio's talking in Swedish. And that gives like some hints to the like the portal to hell. I think that the the kind of dense mystery of it um, that Dylan talked about, I think, was a big part of why it took hold. Like them taking it off the store oh and God. so it becoming yeah. inaccessible. Like I think really fueled the the mystery and the mythos of it. And there was a lot of like hints you could put together, and the final puzzle being like really inscrutable like if you fucked around you could kind of get it done but it took people a long time to figure out exactly what you had to do to like get it done every time yeah i think that the first person who discovered the trailer was actually did it by accident somehow i can't remember if that's true or not it was so long ago but i just want to read like this part about junji ito i saw this article like fucking months ago and i got so fucking mad when I read this, I immediately got fucking furious. I sent it to Reese, and like, I'm fucking furious, Reese. I was so mad that Konami had robbed us of the chance to, like, really get proper representation for Junji Ito's stuff in a video game. Mm-hmm. And, ugh, let's just get into it. All right, so this is from GameSpot, written by Jeremy Winslow. Horror uh, manga... Manga... You can tell I've, I'm really into manga. Junji Ito talks about Silent Hill's involvement. Nothing exists, says the acclaimed manga artist. Hideo Kojima's Silent Hills was cancelled in March 2015 due to conflicts between Kojima's team and publisher Konami. Most of the high-profile individuals involved have since offered their two cents on the matter, including filmmaker Guillermo del Toro, who's had some choice words for the Japanese publisher. Hopefully, fuck you, you piece of shit. Horror manga artist Junji Ito recently discussed his role with the project. Ito, while at the Toronto Comics Art Festival this past weekend, was asked about his involvement with Silent Hills. His responses come via translation thanks to Twitter user Minovoski Article. Alright, so this is from Minovos- at Minovoski Article. Junji Ito asked about Silent Hills. Quote, I don't know anything about games. I don't play them. I am afraid that if I get into them, I'll miss deadlines. I have never (laughs) played Silent Hill. I have known Hideo Kojima for 20 years. He is a nice older brother type. And I think it's funny to me that Junji is like, I'll play video games. (laughs) Everyone who's cool has never played video games. And it's a fact. That's what boiled your blood finding out Junji Ito wasn't a gamer. No, I'm pleased as chips. I'm just like, hell yeah. Junji Ito, finally a good one. 
you showed him League of Legends, it would mean nothing to him. Exactly. What? Imagine having a life that pure. Oh, I, I can't imagine it. League of Legends has robbed me of that imagination. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, video games have colonized the part where your imagination used to live. And now, instead of being able to create fantastic works of art like Jinji Ito, all you can think about is, that slur wouldn't take top lane! Slur, slur, slur! Um, maybe I got a little bit too into that. That was a little <laughs> bit over the No, top. I mean, I was just waiting for you to complain about how brand skill shots are bullshit. <laughs> for real, though, people, like, have these insane theories about how if you don't come, like, your come is your vital essence. And that's, like, your male vitality and essence. What? And that you shouldn't, like, shoot it out. <laughs> like, you lose that essence if you, if you come. And wait, wait, I, I missed, I missed some steps in this conversation. I think the real, the real thing is your vital essence is not playing video games because all that fucking energy can go into a hobby that's not just sitting in front of your computer, being like, "Yeah, I got another weapon in Earth Defense Force. I'm so cool." <laughs> oh man! And you can like learn like people before video games were invented. All right, this is a wild tangent. But people before video games were invented, they had hobbies like, oh, I fix TVs. Like, oh, I'm really into agriculture. I just study really hard. And now I'm just like, I don't have the mental energy to do any of that shit. I just fucking, I'll kill orcs. Kill orcs and fantasy RPGs. That's really the podcast going off of our Matt Christman-esque thesis about video games <laughs> in the episode where we talk about how much we like one of the video games. Exactly. Wait, counterpoint, counterpoint. Thanks to people who don't play video games, we have shit like the MCU and Harry Potter. It's a dark power, okay? That's, that's people so much wield that for evil sometimes. J.K. Rowling had been too busy playing like Super Mario Brothers. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> SJWs has got to go back in time and give fucking <laughs> J.K. Rowling just a fucking Nintendo full of video games. <laughs> the SJW time travelers go back in time and get J.K. Rowling into League of Legends. Oh my god. J.K., you got to work on your jungling path. <laughs> Throw away that typewriter. <laughs> All right, picture the scene. It's, it's late at night and Stan Lee, back in the 60s, he's sitting in his typewriter and he's writing the first issue of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And behind him, you see a shadowy figure approaching him with a plastic bag. Tears running down his face. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Lee, he says. But okay. I can't let you write that. <laughs> he just opens the bag and there's an Xbox 360 with Halo 3. <laughs> he's just like, um, what is this? What is this, son? And he's just like, it's the end, Mr. Lee. And thus, we are spared... From dipshits comparing Elon Musk to Iron Man. We just go back in time and just fucking stop the entire Marvel Universe from forming. Alright, I'm I'm only like one tweet in, so let me read the rest of these. Fuck. Okay. Kojima and Del Toro approached Ido around the time Pacific Rim came out. Quote, I told them I know nothing about games. Kojima told me I would be fine. Del Toro gave me tickets to Pacific Rim. It was excellent. (laughs) Junji Ido just seems like a very nice person. I got free movie tickets. It was one. They're wonderful men. This is how not to get on for another tangent. This is what how pleasant you are if you don't play video games. It's like you fucking fulfilled with your life. You do something productive for your hobby. You just like people admire you. Uh, You don't say slurs on the internet. Okay. Quote: Kojima was at Konami back then. I came to a meeting and Del Toro hugged me. Turns out Del Toro is a big gamer. Cancelled, 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 Del Toro, you're cancelled. <laughs> Del Toro wanted the game to be in one location and keep the horror in the player's face that way. So, I really do think that Kojima is one of those creators that he's a lot like, um, he's not nearly as bad as, but he's like George Lucas. He's a very creative figure, but his creativity works best when he works with somebody who can actually like put the kibosh on his more outlandish ideas. I would argue that Kojima's outlandish ideas are what separates him from your George Lucas. 
I think, too, is that you hear stories about how the dev team on Metal Gear Solid 3 needed to, like, go into emergency mode to, like, get Kojima back from California where he was taking, like, hand-to-hand combat lessons. And, like, Kojima, Kojima, this doesn't matter. We got to do the video game. (laughs) And he's like, it does matter. Let me tell you the basics of CQC. <laughs> exactly. When you compare it to George Lucas, I don't think Kojima has anything as cerebral as like Dexter Jetster. No, I'm I'm saying that like so he is different from George Lucas in that he is competent, but I mean he still has like these fucking ideas that somebody somewhere should have said, "No, Kojima, let's not do that." Like fucking quiet. Oh, she breathes through her skin. You will regret your words and deeds. Like, fuck me. You just wanted some cheesecake in your video game. Just admit it. Like, fuck, just have the courage. Just be honest with us. Quiet is the only Kojima thing that I'll outright say that I don't like. Besides Mm. that quote, that fantastic quote. Oh, that quote is amazing. (laughs) But the rest of the crazy shit he puts in his game, like love blooming on the battlefield, the boss battle, who's put in bees. I hear it's amazing when the purple worm and flapjaw space. I need scissors 61. That's fucking glamorous. That shit should be in every game. I mean, Kojima is like an auteur and visionary in a way that very few people in the video game industry are. I don't want to get too far into that since we're still one tweet short of the whole thing. Quote, once the Silent Hills meeting was over, we went to karaoke. I didn't hear anything after that. I heard that the plan got scrapped through outside sources. I have seen Kojima and Teltoro since. I have never started designing monsters. Nothing exists. There are no roughs or sketches. So basically, I think he was going to be brought on board the full Silent Hills project. So he had nothing to do with PT. But unfortunately, Konami being the worst, canceled Silent Hills before we could ever get any of that work. Which honestly, probably would have been like the first truly great Silent Hill game since Silent Hill 2. That's I've only played one or two, but they're great. I, I, I've heard it takes a dip. Oh, three's good. Don't listen to the haters. The Room? <laughs> no, 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 three. Which one's three? That's uh, where you play as Heather Mason. Oh, okay. I've heard good things about The Room, but it's not, not quite a masterpiece. It's like a... It's the, room, like... the Room has a lot of problems, gameplay-wise. Like, gameplay-wise, it's kind of a fucking failure. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's got a lot of other interesting things going on yeah so cool conceptually but like not quite the influential masterpiece of silent hill 2 so if everyone's done talking about pt great game lot like a fucking wasted potential with silent hills i do have one more thing to say about pt about lisa's design which i love and that she is slightly taller than the doorway She is slightly tall enough that it's uncanny. And there's a lot of cool stuff they did after you pick up the flashlight. The lighting changes a little bit, and then they did that hack where you could see that she actually follows you. Yeah, she's behind you. Little touches of the design like that, not the character design, that aspect, but just the whole package is so compelling. I played Unreal PT, which is not a perfect one-to-one, but even that, you know, they made some effort, and I was just like playing. I was like, "Fuck, I want to, I want the whole game, God damn it. This is so good." Yeah, and then there's also QT, which is like an itch.io <laughs> game. <laughs> I was thinking about QT, but I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> which I, I've got on my hard drive. I haven't played it yet, but it's PT, but it's cute. You just keep going down the halls, and there's just, like... Cute little aliens and stuff. Little aliens. He's on a laptop. Hi. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> I, I do think it, that'd be worth checking out. I completely forgot to get into that. The cool details about PT that are just, like, how she follows you. And, like, all these people who are just taking, like, the code and somehow hacking into, like, their PS3s to, like, look at all these secrets and shit. Somebody has like a packed PS3 who went exploring outside the house and they found like they had the entire town from the trailer there. Huh. Yeah. So it's pretty wild, like the amount of secret stuff people are still discovering about that game. Typical Kojima thing, though, where even years later, you'll still find some new shit in the game. Like a couple years ago, I found out in Metal Gear Solid 2, you can do a bunch of pull ups to upgrade your stamina bar. I remember that. 
that's such like a weird i don't know like early video game thing is that like uh, for a long time people thought the coolest thing was like replicating how things work in the real world for a video game <laughs> like i remember in ultima 9 they had like some fucking advertisement like it's so realistic you can take fucking grain take it to a mill grind it up into flour take the flour <laughs> mix it with water bake it into a bread this is like something that is novelty that's yeah. pretty much what red dead redemption 2 is like a real life simulator it's fucking boring <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing though is in order to meet that same level of novelty now that we're so far into video games as a thing like you have to go so far beyond like what they did in the oldie times where it's like duke nukem 3d where it's like holy shit you can use the sink you can piss in a <laughs> urinal and i distinctly remember being exactly this way back then where i was like oh man i really liked morrowind it was such a fun game but like you know what i really need to be able to do just pick up physics objects and move them around <laughs> and then like i did that for like 15 minutes in oblivion i was like wow that was really fun and aboard yeah you know it's 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 easy to say like now with hindsight that oh oblivion hasn't aged well at all but i remember being there when it was new and thinking it was the most incredible piece of engineering i'd ever seen in my life exactly like the first time you the wall breaks down and the rat comes out to attack you it's like holy shit the bricks are moving like they would in real life i jumped out of my seat because i thought a rat had actually broken <laughs> a rat was coming out of your tv like the ring like oh god like a combination of the ring and princess bride because in Morrowind, there were no rats breaking through walls, so I don't know how exactly. I was supposed to get immersed. Exactly. <laughs> like, And then you got into like that underground area, and there was like, the fucking bow and arrow and the well with the bucket, and you could hit the bucket with arrows and it would move. That tutorial has more tricks than the entirety of Oblivion. Going back, getting that out of my system with Oblivion was so much more healthy. When I went back and played Morrowind, I was like, there's no physics. I don't give a shit. Yeah, but Morrowind has that funny walk cycle that your character has. Oh, I love that walk cycle. Where you, oh look, my where you God. look like you're walking to, like, staying alive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I would actually, like, imitate the walking from Morrowind. The Imperials, they just walk with, like, their back, like, straight up, like, stiff like a board. And just, like, their legs going out, like, really far in front of them. That walk cycle is good, but the coup de grave Morrowind is that run cycle. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. The fucking arms going up and down. And they're like, the arms are like in like this weird V formation, and they just like move up. Did you ever like, their... did you ever like walk on your toes to imitate the Khajiits? I did that. <laughs> no, I never did. Reese has gone silent. I am waiting for the Elder Scrolls portion of this podcast to conclude. Oh. <laughs> All right, fine. All right, fine. Um, Everybody we... likes PT. I'll use that as an excuse to talk <laughs> about becoming a Khajiit. <laughs> uh, what if we made a video game that turns you into a cat? A cat, man! Oh, SJWs in time are going to have a field day with that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> phase two of the discussion. So... Way back when, and I would say around the 2010 era, horror games, especially among like the AAA development sphere, were basically non-existent. Like there weren't none of them, but all the horror games that existed at the time had basically gone the Resident Evil 4 route, where it was like action horror. Action or, or like System Shock was kind of going into that like. Uh, simulation aspect where it's like it was a horror game but it wasn't trying to be 100% spooky it was about your survival yeah exactly I would say the best one from that dark age is probably Dead Space 1 yeah Dead Space though it is very Resident Evil 4 I would say the first one is the most competent because the second one is an action game it's a really good action game but Dead Space 1 is a better horror game yeah Dead Space 1 has some real like tense low ammo a lot of fucked up shit is happening moments 
you know, the, the tension from ammo management is only takes you so far. And once you do get enough, they, they talk about in Resident Evil, a big part of the design philosophy is eventually getting enough in your arsenal so you are able to overcome the horrors. And at the end, you have like 700 grenade launcher rounds and mm. you're just blasting the giant whatever T-virus monsters you're fighting. Yeah, which I don't think is bad at all. That's just a nice progression from survivor to the main threat. Here's the thing I want to get into. Okay, so Dead Space 2008, it predates Amnesia the Dark Descent. However, I don't think its impact was nearly as big, even though it was like a triple A game. That is unfortunately reflected in the descent of the series as it went from one to two to three. It just was corrupted by the triple A gaming industry into being just like a straight up action game. Like space action game with horror themes, but not like a horror game. Yeah, the descent of Dead Space is a tragedy. Yeah, it's really sad. Like, I watched, like, I think that there's multiple video series covering the series and, like, how it went from, like, this pure horror game to being this cash-in on, like, oh, we gotta make it co-op because co-op's really popular among shooters. We gotta make it more of a shooter. We gotta put in microtransactions. And, like, yeah, you check out the Noah Caldwell Gervais. I was just gonna ask if you guys watch Noah Gervais. As far as I'm concerned, kind of the definitive. It's a really long video, but it's very thorough. And the, every review I, he does kind of ends the discussion for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what's what does Noah think? Right. But in terms of like long-lasting impact, Amnesia the Dark Descent, I think, is unrivaled in how it was at this time when indie games were so much less common. Yeah. This was one of the first survival horror video games i can remember being as like an independent release people probably don't remember now but back in the day an indie game getting on steam was like a fucking unicorn it just like Mm -hmm. it happened once in a blue moon when it did that indie game became the biggest fucking thing for ages like it was just an instant hit because there was so much less competition and noise from other developers at the time. When Amnesia came out, its impact was immediate. And even Jim Sterling made a video about this very topic. Amnesia essentially came out, and the popular narrative at the time with AAA developers was that horror games don't sell. They aren't popular. No one wants to play them. And then Amnesia came out, and was a smash fucking hit. Like, one of the most popular games on YouTube. And just wildly popular. Blew past everyone's expectations. And has been one of the most influential games on things like Outlast. What I would say is that Amnesia leans into the horror in a very different way. There are times when you can feel action because you're running or whatever, but you can't fight back. It's a game about running and hiding, and the resource is the oil in your lamp and... Your sanity and your brain. Exactly. There is health, there is the sanity aspect, but it's mostly around sneaking around in the dark, letting the mood, like the, the soundscape... And the like weird sanity effects stretching the screen. At the time, that was massive. And it was like a totally different way to do horror. And I don't want to say it's like truer to the genre, but it was an aspect of horror I don't think that had been knocked out of the park like that before. And I think it opened up the floodgates to a more atmospheric horror. And I would say the even though it's not it's a different game kind of mechanic. It kind of opened the way for something like Five Nights at Freddy, which mm. is just like you looking at cameras yeah. and that that's all you're doing. You know, it's just the mood. It's a similar thing where it's most of the gameplay is your fear that you create yourself. And I don't think that that quite existed until Amnesia. That's an interesting point. Amnesia benefits a lot because before that, they had the Penumbra games that they did, which is a really great trilogy. I consider it kind of a dry run of what they would go mm-hmm. on to do with Amnesia. Penumbra takes place in like a mine shaft that's like a secret facility. The second game, Black Plague, you have 
a worm in your head who speaks mm. in this bizarre accent and it insults you the whole time. So it's a little more esoteric than amnesia. So amnesia is a very simplified thematic idea where it's just like you're in a haunted castle, monsters run. Yeah, exactly. And I th- and I think too it's like it's not the first game to do a lot of the stuff it was doing, but it 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 brought it all together in such a way. Because a game like Thief, for example, uses light and dark and it's mostly about hiding and kind of there there is a little bit of fighting, but it's mostly the the best parts of it are it's that kind of like run, hide, sneak, explore type of stuff. There is a lot of bonking people on the head, though. I think that the main thing that I can like distinguish between something like Silent Hill and Resident Evil and uh, Amnesia that there isn't any combat. Like, not. Other yeah. games have done like, oh, limited combat. Oh, you really want to avoid fighting when you can. But they always seem to give you the option. Whereas in Amnesia, it's like, no, if you get caught by this monster, you're fucked. And I think that's very different. I'm trying to think if there were any games before that were just like, oh, it's pure horror. You can't fight. Clock Tower. Interesting. I've never played any of the Clock Tower games. Oh, Clock Tower is kind of like a point-and-click horror game. But the Scissor Man, you can't fight him. You can either try and like trick him or hide from him. But other than right. that, you're pretty much on a constant run. It sounds cool. I've seen like clips of it that make it look very interesting. But here's the thing that I think that happened in that horror as a game genre used to be very popular and common. And even back when all development was done by studios with publishers and shit like that, back before the rising costs of development made it so that the urge to be safe and what you created overwhelmed the creative instincts of the studio or whatever you would have games like clock tower like silent hill like the original resident evil games but as you got closer and closer to the development of triple a culture you got less and less games like that so amnesia is not the first of its type but what it was is that it was an independent game made on a very small budget at the right time when AAA games were all completely ignoring this niche. And it proved that you could be successful selling to a very hardcore base of fans that even if it's a niche, it's a niche that like nobody is actually catering towards. Amnesia really is like, it's a studio making a really good game and mm. releasing it at the perfect moment. Exactly. If they'd released it too early or too late, it might have gone differently, but they were right there at like the rise of Let's Play culture mm. when we were having a drought of serious horror games. Exactly. And unfortunately, this is where we get to our part where the line between horror and cringe is very thin indeed. <laughs> oh, before, before you get to that, I do want to have a personal anecdote. I was a big fan of Penumbra, and I remember I went to GameStop, and they had a copy of Amnesia, and I was so excited to buy it until I pulled it off the shelf and saw this. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That might be the the thumbnail now. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. To describe what we're looking at, it's a guy with pink hair, it looks like with a lantern and behind him is just like one of the monsters with a goopy jowl and he's just making the biggest soy face uh, of all time (laughs) oh my god when i saw that cover i thought that amnesia had went the way of the other horror games i was like oh i guess amnesia i guess this game's probably not gonna be good and then later i heard it's like the best horror game in years and i'm like what why would they give it that fucking horrible cover (laughs) Uh, I just want to say, to speak of how good Amnesia is, just first off, I think it's one of the first horror games to actually not have fucking terrible voice acting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dead Space wasn't bad after like I played Silent Hill 2 recently, and I loved my playthrough of Silent Hill 2, but it was just like, this is totally competent voice acting, and thank you. 
for for this uh-huh but just the design of it i feel like what should be underscored from kind of our talk of like right game right time this is an exquisitely well-made game going with frictionals games like i, I also played soma recently like they're really oh, yeah. on point developers in general but like I, the I, soundscape as you're going through like i played through the first bit before we did the podcast just to refresh myself and when i was in that archives and you could just hear like something moving just a little bit in the distance as you're doing your shit it's so fucking freaky it's so much better done than like 90 percent of the sound in most games today I just wanted to underscore how well-made it is in all of this other stuff. Every frictional game, their sound design is probably their most underrated aspect to their horror. I think I remember what you're talking about. There's a part where you're like rooting around in people's bedrooms and you can hear something. Like something is way too close by. And if you're wearing Mm -hmm. headphones, it feels like it feels like it's right behind you. And then, like, you get full into the deep end of the wing, and then that's the first time you see a monster. And so it, like, it has that great buildup, and then there's the release. I've actually never finished Amnesia. I finished, I think I got halfway, two-thirds through it, and I, I got the point where, like, my body, its reaction to being scared was to press escape. Just because that was the end of the terror, and I couldn't not press escape to get out of it. And eventually I just didn't complete the game because I was too chicken shit. That's um, how my first playthrough of Fatal Frame went, where the game is just so overwhelmingly frightening all the time with no downtime that eventually you just have to stop playing because it's overwhelming. Yeah, I, I'm hoping since we're talking about it and I reinstalled it, I'm going to try to power through. Now that my overall nervous system has been deadened by the fear and terror of the pandemic, maybe I can handle amnesia. Mm-hmm. All right, so I really, I really want to get into this topic about like the fine line between horror and cringe, and talking about <laughs> how amnesia, as good as it was, as good as the new wave of horror it inspired was, that it unleashed upon the world. The flip side of the horror it released was the cringe. And by that, I mean one of the absolute first games that both PewDiePie and Markiplier ever played on YouTube was Amnesia the Dark Descent. No kidding, the first full Let's Play that PewDiePie ever fucking did was Amnesia. Someone out there, they wished, they said... I wish there was a good new horror game, something Oof. actually scary, and then a finger on the wretched monkey's <laughs> paw curled. Oh, it's so fucking true, though. Because, like, it's a little bit of a chicken-the-egg situation. It's like, where would Amnesia be without the rise of the Let's Player? And where would these Let's Players be without the rise and Amnesia? Because I've not paid any fucking attention to PewDiePie's shit over the years, but I know for a fact that Markiplier... What he is so popular for is playing indie horror games. That is his bread and butter right there. He and PewDiePie and all the other screaming weirdos, they all they are the ones responsible for lifting up these indie horror games into successes. Five Nights at Freddy's was like a phenomena of YouTube. It's honestly upsetting to me how popular Five Nights at Freddy's is. <laughs> I will say, though, that with PewDiePie, like, I always associated him more with his Minecraft stuff. So I think that even if without this amnesia let's play, I think the... The curse. He was kind of the prince of parasocial nonsense. He's like that right when that phenomena was coming up, he was the one whose tide rose the highest because of people just watching shit with him. And he's like, oh, it's it's my friend in the YouTube. And oh, my friend is saying the N-word on the YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I think that we can absolve Amnesia, the Dark Descent, from that one crime. Yeah. And Markiplier is not nearly as bad, I would say. Now, Markiplier seems like a nice enough guy, but with PewDiePie, I don't know how old you guys are, but I was in high school when he was on his, like, rise. Mm -hmm. I have a very close relationship with hating PewDiePie. Yeah. (laughs) Because for a long time, let's say you were, like, 
you were seeing a girl and she said, oh, I love YouTube. Let's go watch some YouTube. And she'd pull up a PewDiePie Happy Wheels video. Oh, no. You'd have to sit there like digging your nails into your leg, shaking, getting red faced. Like, oh, just, oh, my come God, on, Dylan, do this, it for the this pussy. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the things I do for love. I have a very close relationship with how much I fucking hate PewDiePie's content. <laughs> because if you were in high school around then, you had to deal with it a lot. I see. You either thought you either thought it was maniacally funny. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I can't imagine. Or you felt like you felt like an outsider, like an <laughs> alien. Yeah, I was out of high school by that point. I only like vaguely knew of him as the guy who would scream like an absolute moron until he he became the the grand wizard of YouTube. <laughs> the grand I like that. It could have been anyone, to be honest with you. Like, maybe I'm just missing it, but I really don't understand the pull that he has with some people. He, to me, is not exemplary in any way. Like, he's not especially funny. I think that's what's so frustrating about him, is that anyone could have done that. Anyone could have, but they weren't there first, is kind of the problem. It's like how Jeff Bezos made Amazon. It's not that he was a genius visionary. That was just a market that was going to be filled one way or another, mm-hmm. and he was the first to fill it. Every day we live in a world which proves decisively that it is not meritocratic in the slightest. And fucking PewDiePie's rise to fame is like more proof than anyone ever needed that you can be a completely mediocre white dude and just fucking succeed like nobody else. And it's it's so goddamn depressing to see someone get completely rich and famous off of what is essentially the backs of other people's work. I mean, maybe standards were lower back then. It's like, oh my god, the guy is afraid of a horror game? This is hilarious! Nowadays, a Let's Player has to at least say a couple slurs here and there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Count up. I have heard that PewDiePie said that he would basically pander to the lowest common denominator just making his content like every little scare or whatever he would scream and freak out and make stupid voices and so i think just his lack of shame is unique among the youtube (laughs) community i don't know them all that well but i imagine markiplier comports himself with like some degree of dignity and shame, which PewDiePie did not during his rise. And I think that that appeals to a younger audience is that when you're young, like you love everything and PewDiePie is just like pure stimulation. So I would really like to just shout out one Let's Player, I think, who never got a fair shake compared to like some of the other big YouTubers and that he was like, genuinely way fucking funnier than any of them uh there was this let's player called moogle ftw and his let's play of amnesia the dark descent is in my humble opinion the best i don't know who that is but shout out to moogle ftw i like moogles if you go back in time though to like the 2010s like people were just calling saying oh this is gay this is so gay everything's gay 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 jokes gay just like it's very like, ooh, man, does everyone really like this back then? <laughs> they were. No, what's what's crazy is seeing how uh, flagrantly people would use like the R slur casually. Mm-hmm. You look back on like old chat logs and like people would just say it regularly, and I'm like, whoa. You were not in any way scolded until 2015. Pretty much, um, yeah. It was, it was not a thing. I, I was just thinking about that, Alton, about how, like, early 2000s and the 90s, like, people have this kind of rose-colored glasses, and I'm just like... And really? I was just thinking about it. People were fucking dipshits back then. <laughs> and, like, just, like, really stupid about the gay panic and just slurs, and it's... I don't think necessarily everybody needs to have the strictest degrees of wokeness but it's very different now even the people i liked like moogle ftw like the spoony one were just like at in 2010 were just calling everything they didn't like gay yeah even now it's like a little bit of a culture shock going back to just like people could just say these things without even thinking about it what's also interesting is looking at um 
content creators from around that time who've adapted to the times mm-hmm. and have kind of adjusted their style accordingly. Like Dunky used to be way more vulgar and offensive and edgy, mm-hmm. but he's actually cleaned up his style a whole lot and has gotten way more success because of it. You know why? It's because the SJWs have gone back in time. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck. That's right. He, it's not personal growth on his account. We actually yeah, went it, back and mind-controlled him through our sissy hypnification process. Anti-SJWs can't accept the fact that Dunky probably just grew up as a person. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. I mean, like, he's a fucking adult now. He's married. And another another one is Zero Punctuation, because his old videos are really pushing it. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, yeah. I don't think he's that edgy he's still pretty edgy but he's not like slur edgy the thing is with zero punctuation is i think he almost falls along a kind of like if he were more into politics than he is he'd probably be like a dirtbag leftist or something he he has some very leftist views yeah especially on american imperialism yeah it, it is very obvious that his uh political leanings are slightly more developed than just liberal but that's all speculation. He's still just like, man, he just loved making just edgy jokes for like the majority of his career. And the wild thing is, maybe other people can correct me on this, but it doesn't, doesn't seem like he was ever really involved with like the whole anti-SJW like harassment movement because he was just like a hermit. I'll out myself now, but I watch it pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. But he's always been very close to his chest with like, a lot of that nonsense keeping out of it. I do remember he was one of the few reviewers who called the Tomb Raider reboots like incredibly sexist. That's because we went back in time. (laughs) 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 And we forced him to read feminist theory. (laughs) All right. Well, I think, uh, do you guys want to say anything more about amnesia or PT or the, the general milieu? Because I think we've made some good points today. I definitely think that amnesia can be traced to PT in that focused horror experience. Definitely. I don't think PT exists without something like amnesia and Outlast setting up a genre of combat-free games. Like I said, even Silent Hill, as horror-focused as it was, would let you beat the skinless dog with a stick. I do, I do it, think there is an argument, though, that horror games can benefit from like giving you some agency in terms oh, yeah. of combat. Definitely. I mean, one of the things, the complaints I would have about amnesia as a game mm-hmm. is that it is mechanically extremely samey. It is yeah. just like monster comes in the room, you hide or run, then the monster leaves and you continue and do like a puzzle. I mean, it's very samey and the, the oppression is very samey. Like it's just yeah. like nonstop running terror. It's, it's good for the game. I wouldn't want it to be any different. I do want to shout out though, the one game I feel manages to combine that kind of AAA combat sensibility while leaning into the horror. And I think it's probably one of the most, if not the most successful horror game is Alien Isolation. Mm. It gives you that combat resource tools so you can fight the alien off. But, you know, the whole time, it's still just you running and hiding. And it has really leans into the horror of, here are these dark spaces, here is this really creepy environment. Like most horror games like we're talking about, it doesn't manage to string it through the entire game. It kind of loses mm. the thread. But... I just wanted to shout it out as kind of like the apex of this stuff that we're talking about. Alien Isolation is a good example, but I think the problem it has is what I was talking about earlier, where it runs way too long. Absolutely. Once you get to and you see the all the alien eggs and you're fighting the face huggers and there's two aliens in the back half of the game, it loses the thread a little bit. But that first half I think is Probably the strongest horror experience since uh, until PT. I also think Soma is also really good for that because instead of running and hiding, each monster encounter has a twist to it where mm-hmm. there's a different way you have to interact with the monster. I also think it's a lot more... Um, I don't know, maybe I'm not remembering Amnesia correctly, but Amnesia was very much like, oh, you find 
stuff scattered around that you can read. But like yeah. uh, Soma, I think, was a lot more narrative in its structure. So the horror sections would be broken up by like world building a lot more. Um, it, it's a killer narrative too. Yeah, it's very I, I, interesting I agree sci-fi. Too. Soma is incredible, and I think what is great about Soma is that it has those decision points where you that don't really impact the gameplay that much but like the the meaning of what you do whether you decide soma spoilers but when you have to kill yourself or leave the copy of yourself who's just going to wake up in a terrible undersea station and it has all of these kind of like existential themes going with it that was such a fucked up and weighty choice that oh, the like, best, accentuated the ho- the horror for me. The best one is when you're interrogating that one guy's conscience, and you keep waking him up and killing him until you can finally get the information you want. Oh yeah, you're, like, yeah. you're traumatizing multiple versions of him. I think that uh, conclusions would be like, don't make horror games too long. Length is the enemy of proper horror, and if PT proves anything, it's like the more condensed you can make that horror experience. I think mm-hmm. the more refined you can make that's that 30-minute run, the better the game will be. It is very unfortunate because I don't think for a lot of these AAA games, they got to have like eight-hour run times at least to like justify the yeah. $60 price tag up front. I think another thing that's really fucking a roadblock or hamper on horror truly realizing its full potential as a genre in video games... I think it's annoying for any genre, the idea that you have to like hit a certain length to... Oh, Final Fantasy thirteen is 1,200 hours. It must be really good. Good value for money. Final Fantasy thirteen is the worst version of that because it spends like 30 hours before the game actually like opens up and there's like yeah. any choices that you can make or any difficulty in the combat. And they just so slowly hold your hand. Hey, don't tell the gamers I said this, but I actually like 13. Yeah, I think that there's like a revive, there's a, a revisionist movement, if you will, of people who are like, actually Final Fantasy 13 was good. But I, I think that as a person who has like a life, <laughs> 30 hours of anything to just to get into it is insane to me. Yeah, that's why I've never really beaten any JRPG except Final Fantasy 13. Because I got into Persona 3 a little bit, but then someone told me their first playthrough was like 400 hours, and I'm like, fuck that. Huh? Oh, man. I, I... Even Western RPGs aren't like that fucking insane. Like, you can beat most of them like 40 to 60 hours if you just do the main campaign. And it's like, I, I think brevity up. is something that is desperately needed in video games. Are either yeah. of you familiar with the game 30 Flights of Loving? I yes. am. I very vaguely remember it. But. but what I like about 30 Flights of Loving is that the game is edited. Like you'll be walking through an airport and it'll just be like, okay, you get it. You're walking through an airport. Cut to the next important thing. You're hanging with your crew. This is the part. Cut to the next part. And it's so propulsive and it's so good because it just cuts out that flab. And then, like, you get to this, like, oh, this crazy story moment. And then you're playing and you're jumping down these fire escapes. And the game is extremely short, but it packs in a lot of story just because it has the guts to have the kind of cutting that you would see in movies. Yeah, like, You don't think... need to see Brad Pitt, like, get on his flight and sit for eight hours on his flight while he fucks with his talent tree. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, he's at the airport. He's killing some dude. Move on, move on, move on. It. It's propulsive. I think a lot of games underrate the power of pacing, which I was replaying two games recently that I think are on the like they're on the similar wavelengths, but they diverge completely in like how they pull it off. Half-Life and Doom 3, where Half-Life is incredibly well paced. Like when you replay, you're kind of amazed that so many games ripped it off but could not get this part down. It's like 30 minutes before you get a weapon, and then it starts off survival horror, gets tactical shooter goes back underground it's a really nicely laid out game so you don't really feel like even though you're in first person with gordon the whole trip you don't feel like there's any wasted moment because they pack every room full of something whereas doom 3 is like the same conceit but it's Mm -hmm. so 
fucking boring and so mm-hmm. goddamn long. Yeah. I mean, in any game dev's defense, it is incredible. I would say it it's harder to make a game, a good game, than it is to make a good movie. Just because it, it, what's fun about the game isn't necessarily apparent until you kind of like got a little bit more into it, I would argue. And so like, you know, you, you're making a game and you're like, well, this this is pretty good. I think it seems pretty fun. But, you know, you, you only have so many resources. If something doesn't work 100%, you can't just go back and start anew. I mean, you know, Duke Nukem Forever and a couple other terrible <laughs> examples have, have tried that. And occasionally, you know, one might be successful. But I would say, you know, it's it's not really an option for most devs. Anyway, I'll shut up from now on. I know we're trying to wrap up. Huh? Okay. So we're wrapped up. I hope everyone had a good time. Uh, I certainly did. It was a great discussion. So Dylan, where can people hear more from you on the internet? Open up your toilet and put your head near, near the mouth and you will hear me. Wow. That's also how I get my Bob Chipman tweets. I fish him out of the, (laughs) fish him out of the S bend in my toilet. You can find me. I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Dylan Warwick 69. Nice. Also known as Gruel. Cool. I also make music. You can find it on visitorinformation.bandcamp.com. Cool. Oh my God. All right, Reese, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at your very good bud on Twitter. Hell yeah. And also his Twitch. Same thing. Uh, that, I, haven't, I haven't done that in months. Yeah, no, nobody has the fucking energy to make content. Are you kidding me? People, even the people who make content, don't have energy to make content. Fucking Virgil, Texas, has fallen off the edge of the map <laughs> and has become like a non-entity, and that the world is seeking out like Carmen San Diego. Um, I mean, on on Twitch, like you 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 put in an effort for like five hours to try to be entertaining, and the only interaction is some dude swinging by to be like, "Hey, man, looks like you're shit at the video game." Here's a follow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> uh. Um, but yeah, we have more stuff. You can see our official website at videogamesoftheworst.pinecast.co. We got our Patreon, patreon.com slash where you can subscribe to our premium tier for $1, one measly dollar a month, at least during the pandemic. I'll probably raise it up to two once the whole virus situation is contained. But neither of us feel like making things, so the $1 a month is just if you want to look, go back and listen to our premium eps. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. If if you want us to see, the, if you want uh, to hear us solve the Jeffrey Epstein murder, yeah. you got to pay a buck. Or never our fantastic that mountains of uh, our fantastic Mountain Dew episode with but, Matt. Yeah, that, just just listen to the most disgusting, soul rending oh stories God. about us and Mountain Dew. It is amazing. It is perfectly <laughs> Cthulhuoid in its horror. As we've said multiple times, the the line between horror and cringe is very fine <laughs> indeed. And in that episode, we switch between both. Yeah, we're, we we weave between the line like a drunk driver. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you can find me at 8alton8 on Twitter, or you can find me on YouTube at, at AltonPlays, which I have not uploaded anything to that thing for fucking ages. Um, you also just, like, send me a message. Say hi. Say nice things to me. Be nice to me, okay? Be nice to, be nice I'm to yeah. Yeah. What the fuck is up? Everyone it's else, a, it's everyone else is the problem here. I'm per- been like a perfect gentleman. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm. That's what I'm always. Saying. <laughs> I think the world would be in better shape if everyone was like me. I think the world would be in better shape if everyone was nice to me. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for listening. Uh, We'll see you in the next episode in five million months. Bye. Bye. Bye.